This is Saster's Founders Favorite series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. Feeling the blues after all the great content from Saster Annual 2019 has come and gone? Join us in Paris for Saster Europa, coming up June 12th and 13th. Up today, Ryan Smith, founder and CEO of Qualtrics, recently acquired by SAP for $8 billion, and Saster CEO, Jason Lemkin. Let's welcome Ryan Smith. Oh. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me, it's man. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Last year, you were kind enough to join us last minute, and Qualtrics was worth a stunning $2.5 billion. And then you blink an eye, it's $8 billion. That's I mean, what that's happens crazy. in SaaS, right? Is that what is that The happen? whole world's waiting for you to just let gravity set in and fall. And if you can just hit that next checkpoint yeah. without crashing, it's compounding. That's what it's we're like talking compounding about. Compounding interest. Right? And how long did it take you to figure that out? Um, like probably about 17 years. 17 years? <laughs> Let's just, go to this. You went to Sequoia, because I haven't heard this yeah. story. And you're raising, what was the round, 500? No, no we raised... Billion, we, 800, yeah. million? Yeah, we raised at $400 million, $350 million with Sequoia and Excel. Okay, so you're going in, you're at 30-something million run rate, and, and the team deck doesn't say who the CEO is? No. What does it say? It just says we're the founders. The Smith Brothers? The Smith family, <laughs> yeah, that's it. We called ourselves a team of four, actually, who operate and make decisions, and it's just how we roll. And what is survey product? Yeah, that's who we were back in yeah. the day. We were the survey pros. <laughs> and, you know, I think we, we decided, actually, unfortunately, we won the domain name, but we got in a lawsuit. Oh, someone had a trademark someone on it? Someone had yeah. the trademark on it, but they didn't even know how to Something rule. Like because like pet exterminators yeah, were, the, yeah, were, the, were, the, were the survey pros. And, and so we had trucks. to switch, and we yeah. chose Qualtrics. And it was the best thing we've ever done because... Everything we ever wanted to do were pivot the company or get away from surveys, which, you know, in 2007, were like, whoa, this is way bigger. We could do it under the Qualtrics umbrella. And so everyone would get after us and say, well, it's not descriptive. I don't know what it is. And, you know, reality is people don't know what anything anyone's creating is. We close a deal with SAP. I get on the phone that night. It's myself and Bill and all the investors. First phone call. Hey, Bill, you spent $8 billion on a company that no one's heard of. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? 300, 300 articles about our IPO out there, yeah. and no one's heard of us. And so I think that as founders, and it might be helpful, you know, there's this whole rationale of fundraising and marketing that you're going out there so people will know who you are. They're not going to know who you are. So just go build a good business. Yeah. Everyone would love to bootstrap. Let's, if, 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 it were, if it were simply a binary choice, shall I sell 90% of my company or zero, I think, I think we can all make the same choice. But looking back, you started in 2002. And, and it was a terrible time to start, but also good, because there weren't 10,000 companies each year out of Y Combinator and EF and others. Would that playbook work today? Would you have enough, the question is, do you have enough time to go out in the desert for three or four years if there's 48 other survey pros or Qualtrics out there today? Yeah, so I think if you look at this, this is a great way to look at the, for those who are new into tech. If you look at 2002, we were in the shadow of the dot-com. So yeah. It was still a bomb. Cautious, right? bomb. Yeah. Then we had like five years of really good time, and then it hit again. 
Hard. 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 And everyone who had raised capital, like, went to, like, they were all in the fetal position. Yeah. And we were bootstrapped. Benioff stopped hiring salespeople. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which Pop. never Stopped happened. Stopped hiring ever, salespeople. Ever, yeah. right? <laughs> and so we, we went through and we were saying, you know, we're probably not going to, and it was my father and my brother, they're like, hey, look, we're not doing this if we're going to have outside bosses. And, and actually, the amount that we would have given up was, it was expensive. I mean, I'll just tell you, from 2009, 10, and 11, every year we waited, our valuation went up $100 million back then. Yeah. Right? And so, basically, the longer you can spread it out, the more money you end up with for your employees and for your, and, and aside from the financial side, I will tell you this, is your cap table is your number one asset as a founder and as a company. If my kid was joining a company, the number one thing I would say is, hey, great, that's a great market, this is all what's going on. Um, what's the cap table look like? Yeah. Because I've watched in the, in the areas that we compete in, I've watched really smart people, really smart found, founders just get lapped by us because they had a bad cap table. And you say that, but let's dig in for a second, because um, what do you really mean by that? By, you mean the, overwhelmed by too much capital? Because there's all, there's all these stories yeah. out there. But yeah, what do, so, what really so if we would have had capital, we would have never gone after the academic market. It, it yeah. actually sometimes uh, an influx of capital can make you take the shortcuts, and you need the scar tissue to run a business in the out years that you can only get from the suffering in the in years. Well, that, that is true, yeah. Right? So we know as a company that we could pivot from the academic market to the corporate market. We couldn't buy it. We had to pivot. We had to go through and stand this up in, a, in the, an efficient way that worked and scaled. If we would have just bought our way through, I don't think we would have had that confidence or DNA to pivot the whole company and create this new category of experience management, which is really what SAP wanted. Yeah, but let's step back, because there's an interesting thing that a lot of founders think about. So I should know this. So uh, Qualtrics doing plus or minus 500 million at the time of the deal, right? Uh, I got 500 million sales, yeah. Okay. What percent now is from that academic market, that original market? I should have pulled this up and read it. Uh, and we don't release it, so you wouldn't have found it, but it's still a heavy, heavy piece of the But it's business. a minority, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah it's, it it's went a smaller from 100% market. of the business to 10% of one Okay, 10%. Yeah. So the question is, this is a question for founders, because you're talking about this. When you're doing well in a small market, it can be exhilarating but also frustrating. You see these other TAMs. You, see, you look around and you see Dropbox and folks. Yeah. How, how do you know when to stick with these smaller markets and dominate it versus move across this chart? How did you know? What's well, your it's advice? It's a timing goes? thing. I mean, the academic market is not one that you look at and you say, hey, look. I mean, what do you do? Look at Blackboard and be like, okay, that's the holy grail? Yes. Right? And, and we always had a goal that whatever market we were going into, we wanted to be number one at. And we wouldn't go into the market if we didn't That's believe the question, we could be number one. Be number one. Right. And if you look at what we're doing right now with the experience management platform, customer experience, we believe we're going to be number one. We believe we are. Um, brand experience, measuring people's brands. Um, employee experience, there's been $10 billion in acquisitions in that space, and we're, we're kicking butt. We've already created a unicorn in both customer and employee. And then product. And we're doing it all on one single platform instead of all these different systems. And so we won't go into one of those verticals if we don't believe we're going to be number one, and we're having real conversations with ourselves. 
Let's go back to this slide and talk about something different for a minute that I think people don't get if they haven't done it. So $8 billion, this number doesn't come out of nowhere, does it? It sounds like a lot of money, and it is a fair amount of money by historical standards. But you're IPOing at a certain number, right? The market actually, there's a, there's a comp out there, and you're, you're, you're days away from IPOing. And who, who'd you have? Goldman, Morgan Stanley? Morgan and Goldman. Morgan, it's either Goldman or Morgan or Morgan or Goldman is one yeah, of them. Yeah. And they're telling you, they're looking at the comps, and you're, they're saying you're worth $5.68234 billion. And this yeah. is just a premium, isn't it? It, it, it? At some level, it's that simple, isn't it? Yeah, and they did a great job, and we would have had a wildly successful IPO. And we were all in on the IPO. That's what people understand. I was watching. I, I was cheering. I was not I was running a dual Twitter. track. Yeah. I invited 300 of my closest friends to take mortgages on their house to go buy into the friends and family, and then yeah. I was like, oh, J slash K, it was like a pump fake, and everyone went flying by, and yeah. then we laid in. But that's just what happened. Yeah. And, you know, we've always done unconventional things at Qualtrics, and this was just one more unconventional thing that we did, and, and we're going to keep running it, which is also unconventional. Everyone asked me, Ryan, what are you going to do next? Your check just came out. What's going on? I was like, my wife only let me do one tech company. This is it. Can't, I'm either going to have to tell you all goodbye, yeah. or... It's a generational company. You're it's a generational company, yeah. and my goal was to get Qualtrics everywhere, and this is the best way I've seen to do it. So, so $8 billion to some folks on reading Business Insider may seem crazy. It's not. It's a premium to IPO, as it should be, yeah. because if you're going to take something off the table, you can't pay under market, right? It's yeah. actually fairly. But let me, let's do the second math, which is even less intuitive. Let's talk about the dilution related to that. So an $8 billion acquisition is equivalent to how big of an IPO? Probably 11 or 12. 11 or 12. This is, it's just an interesting thing to think of. And this, is, this will also be true with your Series B and your Series D and your Series E if you do them. Because well, you're, you're going to sell a quarter of the company. You're going to sell 15% of the IPO plus the other taxes associated with it. Yeah. I mean, I always looked at our IPO as our Series D round. Series D round, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, okay, I'm going to raise here, I'm going to raise here, I'm going to raise here. There's two things that are happening that scare me. If I look out at tech and I watch a lot of companies I advise, there are two things that scare me. Number one, founders and companies are not thinking it's, it's long enough. It's going to take longer than they think. All of them, right? All of them. Everyone. Everyone. All of them. Yeah. Nothing we've ever done has been shorter than we thought. Yeah. Right? And we've seen this. And I've got a great peer group in Utah. It's, and you're going to hear from Aaron Sconard, yeah. who we're the same cloth. I mean, it's like 12, 12 years. I mean, the, the, we've been going... Um, it takes longer than you think. And everyone's going to be like, no, no, no. And I'm like, just watch. Because all it takes is one little hiccup in 2007, 6, and 8. Yeah. I mean, look, look, here's a prime example. Look at November this year, right? We're ready to go on the road. The stock market crashes a little bit. We show up in New York. We are the only company on the road. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Everyone stopped. And all it takes is one little hiccup, and then, okay, we lost a year. No one's going public. The second thing is you talked about however many unicorns there are. Yeah. There's a myth that I didn't know about, and I've learned. You know, when you get over a billion dollars or two billion dollars, there's not that many companies that can acquire you. That's for sure. Right? And they don't buy all the time. So if I look at it now, SAP's not buying anything for a while. We, we took all their powder. And they right? go through waves, right? SAP bought SuccessFactors and Concur, and then, and then digested. 
and they have to digest. Adobe just bought Marketo. It's, it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to digest, right? And you've got to go to an outside public board and say, hey, this is why we're going to do it. So if I'm a founder and I'm running, I need to protect my cap table and say, this is going to take longer than we think. Don't get emotional. Just play the long game. And number two, prepare to go public and be perfectly okay with that and build your company to be able to do that. How early do you mean prepare to go public? Just know that there's no other option. Well, that, that's, that's, that is a, an important insight, right? Yeah, I, can't, I, I, talk, I, I bumped into like five founders at registration this morning asking me about potential M&A for companies they don't really know. Like that doesn't help, does it? No. Prepare, to, prepare your only option prepare. is to IPO. It may take 20 years, right? However long it is, if you're not building a company that can stand up and go public, yeah. then you're probably going to be, no one's going to want it anyways. And you, there's going to be an outlier or two where you're going to point to and say that, but no one ever really, I mean, SAP came in because we were ready to go public. That's what, that's what it They're not going to move right? without a compelling event, and that was great, and it worked out for everyone. But somehow, this took 17 years, right? And uh, for all intents and purposes, the founders alone maintained almost the majority of the company, put together the rest of the employee board, the, the team owned the majority of this company, right? And so you have a lot of thoughts on this. And it's not just raising money. If you talk to, you know, I was on a board with John Doerr a while ago, you know, the legend of venture capital. He modeled 6% dilution a year. Like every, because he's doing, and when he tries to figure out what the valuation of, as founders, we think it's 30 pre. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, I got to figure out how long my money is, and I'm getting inflated by 67% a year. Plus, he's doing his own wrath, and it's going up. So how do you manage a cap table for, uh, for the better part of two decades like this? Yeah, so we didn't give away stock. I know that's weird here, but we didn't give away stock till 2012. So 2000, oh, 2012. Yeah. And did you pay up more, or you just created yeah, the best we, work environment in, in all of the We just created a great work environment, and people had to buy, buy in on the mission, and I think that was, that was part of it. I mean, one of the things that I'm really proud of is there's $8 billion, and only $30 million of it went to people who weren't in the building at the time of the transaction. Yeah, I think I've well, sent more right out to people, people that weren't in the paid. building myself, and I didn't sell for $8 billion. <laughs> yeah. You beat me yeah. on that one, too. <laughs> and I see, I see a lot of people, and so some people are like, okay, why do the founders have so much? Well, we're, we were phenomenal stewards over it. It's not that we wanted it all. It's just we, our job, once again, think you're going to be doing it forever, right? Our jobs are to protect that. If you look at, you know, Mike and Scott at Atlassian, same model. If you look at Larry and Sergey, if you look at, you know, Gates and Allen, it's the same thing where it's the one commonality that they have. I wouldn't even invest in a company if a founder didn't own, if we're raising a Series A, if they didn't own 20% or more. Yeah, my rule, they gotta be double digits by IPO. Yeah, 100%, be because IPO. the staying power, and they've gotta care more than I do, right? And then I think if you look at it, you might look and say, whoa, they've raised $400 million, they didn't put any of it in the company. Our VCs returned more than I mean, I think it was a top three in Excel's portfolio, maybe number one in Insights. They both. I know Excel's over. talking a lot about it on the road. Show. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they took over a billion dollars out, so they won. Yeah. I think the founders did pretty well, and we created more millionaires than any company I've seen. Yeah, you know, there's a related, this is an in learning for me over time. When I, um, if you're going long, and we're talking about generational companies, you want to treat, I mean, your employees love you, team loves you, but when the capital walks out the door, it's tough, right? What you want to have when that exit comes, you want as much of it concentrated on the folks going long, right? So I'm all into 
crazy, especially for founders, like a decade vesting schedule for founders, right? Because there's nothing worse than when your co-founder leaves a week in. Um, and you found a way to do that, right? Is to concentrate that on the folks that were there. And what's interesting is with, with SAP now, it's pretty clear that outside of about six or seven people, every single person in the company will make more money over the next five years than they did the prior 17. So there's power laws there too. Power laws, massive yeah. power laws going forward, which is what's exciting and why we're all pretty excited to go do this. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, just think about it. I think it's something to think about is what, what does your cap table look like? When we raise our Series A, we never thought we were going to raise another round. You're, you're going to raise. Once you're on that track, you're going to raise. So what does it look like? And, you know, I see these companies that are like, okay, I'm raising my Series F, and it's like they're $150 million in sales. I was like, plus the, the IPO round and all of that. You know, if you offered someone in the Series C 1% of the company, they might end up with 10 basis points by the time they get there, right? Yeah, it, can be, it can be rough. It, yeah, can, it can be, be rough. rough. So you got to manage that carefully. Two last things. In terms of building generational companies in decades, revenue retention. Because I, I hit on it before, but, but this, is such, this is so hard to understand in the early days. At $500 million in revenue, you're retaining 120-some-odd percent of your revenue from the S1. Yeah, across right? 10,000 customers. 10,000 customers. And, and again, you said this to me backstage, and I brought it up. That meant if you, didn't if you don't close another customer ever, but you keep your customers happy, you can eventually build a many-billion-dollar company without closing a deal, right? And, and this is the power. And any quick lessons beyond getting that number as high as possible? What are the Zen lessons on this net negative churn and this, and this positive I revenue mean, first retention? First of all, you've got to have good products that people want to use. That's yes. the ultimate thing is, is like we can market ourselves. We can say, hey, Qualtrics is this or that or it's overhyped or this or that. But if you've got 10,000 brands yes. and 122% net retention and then the enterprise, it's 140, that, that means that you've got a solid foundation, a solid engine where people are living and it's mission critical to them. Yeah. And we had triple-digit growth through 2007, 8, and 9. And no one knows what's going to happen in those environments and where they sit on the pecking order of budget cuts. You didn't know, right? How, no how, mission, I didn't critical, know. how mission critical are I, we? I thought we were in trouble. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa, all their outsourced money is now going on Qualtrics, and they can do more with less. But no one canceled right. the, the products they really relied on in those days, People did they? did, but... I was amazed. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a great example. As Sears was, was in bankruptcy and in and, and Kmart, they were all using Qualtrics even up to the last couple of days. And I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. That's the story, right? Because they were trying to figure out experience data and how they could maybe pull out of it without just looking at the operational numbers. Yeah. Like, what do people think? How can I go? And so I think that was what, what we benefited from. All right, one last fun question on this, right. then we got a break. If I somehow build a billion-dollar company, a billion-dollar company, and I'm growing 50% a year or more, should I sell? I can get a billion dollars from my startup, or should I keep pushing on? You know, everyone wants to run through these. We teach a little uh, case study about when we turned down the 500 million yeah, at Qualtrics yeah. at Stanford, and and everyone's like, oh, what what was in that decision? And it was really like me getting in the car with my wife, and she's like, Ryan, you don't need a bunch of money, and I don't want you home more. So like. Let's that just, is the decision, though, isn't let's it? Let's just go, yeah. Decision, and so right? I think everyone thinks it's this math equation. Like, when I got, when we, we wired our money last week, nothing changed for me. Nothing changed, right? There nothing was, like, changed. no emotional reaction. The only emotional reaction I had was we created wealth for a ton of people. And that that's is, the that only is thing, wonderful, isn't That's it? the only thing that hit home. Yeah. And so if you think that you're going to go through and all of a sudden, okay, I've arrived, you're going to be seriously let down. 
You will, you will be. Because yeah. it's about building, it's about the journey, it's about being in tech, it's about building software that people are going to use, it's about creating, it's about giving back. And I just think that, you know, it's really about changing the world. And I think that you're either changing it or you're not, and this isn't going to matter. Like, we're super fortunate to be working in tech at this time, and we just got to realize we could have been born in the wild, wild west or doing something else like that. And so I'm just trying to appreciate every minute of it. All right, Ryan, this is amazing. We're way over, but thanks okay. for all this again and all coming right, back. Terrific, yeah. All right. Thank you.